Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, thank you for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, your camper, your taxi, that greasy greasy spoon diner just off the Trans-Canada Highway, and your cabin in the woods. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Great to have you aboard, and thank you for your fine company. Uh, just a, uh, a reminder, Season 4 of The Conspiracy Show is uh, coming up. I know I've given you uh, lots of advanced warning, and I am still waiting on a, on a, on a date, but I just want to let you know, you know, we have delivered brand new episodes, and they will be available to you across Canada on Vision Television, our good friends here. Uh, part of uh, Zoomer, uh, Zoomer, uh, and um, the uh, the television show Vision TV again available across Canada, and uh, we are so delighted to be uh, bringing you season four. And as soon as I have a, a, a um, an actual broadcast date, a debut, I will uh, give that to you. But in the meantime, seasons uh, one through thir- three are in high rotation, as they say. You can see those in reruns on Vision TV. And they're also available, seasons one through three, the complete episodes, complete seasons in HD uh, at Amazon.com for rent or sale. And I understand in the United States, for our American listeners, you can also see those on Hulu TV. So many ways to watch, so many ways to listen. Uh, we have a, um, a wonderful guest standing by. Janet Sitchin is the niece of Zechariah Sitchin, uh, the author of some 14 books. I think it was uh, 14. Uh, of course, Zechariah passed away. Uh, it's been about five years now. Quite a legacy. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, I mean, he's really the, the grandfather of that whole school of thought. Um, in many ways, uh, after transcribing the um, the cuneiforms, the Sumerian cuneiforms, many of which sit in the basement in the uh, museum in London, England, and uh, that's the Sumerian the the Sumerian creation story uh, right there on these cuneiforms, and he transcribed many of them and uh, brought them to us in his his many books. Um, you'll be familiar, of course, with, uh, you know, the Twelfth Planet, and, uh, we'll get into all of that with Janet Sitchin in, um, in just a few moments. Delighted to have her with us. Uh, her book is called The Anunnaki Chronicles, a Zachariah Sitchin reader, in, including, uh, never before published writings. Uh, what else can I let you know, uh, about, well, the Conspiracy Show app, of course. We're very excited about that. Uh, it's a free download from iTunes and, uh, also a Google Play. Uh, and while you're at it, you really want to uh, download the free Zoomer radio app as well. I, I, I know I go on about it, but I'm, it's, it's just an amazing app because it really transforms your smartphone, your uh, iPhone or your Android into an old transistor radio. And if you're nostalgic like I am and you remember your first transistor radio, uh, you really want to download the Zoomer app. Not only can you listen to The Conspiracy Show using that app, but, of course, all of the great programs here at Zoomer Radio. George Chinescu's Big Band Sunday Night, of course, which precedes mine. And uh, you can take Zoomer Radio with you wherever you go. All right. Uh, Tim Spreen is back in the saddle after a long absence, sitting in for the... Uh, well, Ian Robertson, our regular technical producer now, is off... Um, 
gallivanting somewhere, touring with his rockabilly band, but it's great to have Tim Spreen back, twisting the knobs and dials, and Albert Vinzel is here running our Hangout on Air. And if you want to uh, check out the live stream on YouTube, just go to my my uh, Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Go to the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And if you go to the top of the Twitter feed, you'll find a tweet there containing the link to the HOA. You just click on it, and you're in. And you can watch the program stream live on YouTube. And if you don't catch it live, you can go back and um, go to our YouTube channel, which is what, Albert? Conspiracy Show 1? With Richard Serrett. Conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. Yeah. You just yeah into you you just plug that into YouTube and you'll find it. All the YouTube streams are there. All right, let's get into this, shall we? I'm looking forward to this. Janet Sitchin worked as her uncle's assistant and is the webmaster for Sitchin.com, a data integration expert with a degree in computer science. She lives outside Miami, Florida, and again, the author of the Anunnaki Chronicles, a Zachariah Sitchin reader. Uh, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Janet Sitchin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Wow, what a legacy your uncle had. Um, yes, it's pretty incredible. I, I was just actually at the, the Miami Book Fair, um, continues this weekend, and I was there with the publisher of, of Zachariah's books and, and this new book as well, and it was just amazing to see so many other books and authors that touched on subjects that were brought to light originally by my uncle. And, and what were the circumstances? When did you start uh, working uh, with your uncle? Um, I, working with him is a little bit of an exaggeration, but he had seminars um, around the country where he would spend a weekend with his readers and he would um, you know, talk about the, the subjects, um, you know, various subjects about ancient civilizations and uh, the things that are in his books. And uh, for... Not the very first ones, but for almost all of the others, I would help with registration. I'd help make sure the audiovisual was set up. You know, that whatever hotel we were that was hosting it took care of those things. Uh, I would make sure he had a glass of water. You know, just little things like that, um, and helping with registration and and uh, greeting the the readers as they came in to join the seminar. Talk. Oh, sorry, I had a little uh, mic problem there. Tell me about the, the, the Twelfth Planet. For those, I mean, I know this is a daunting task. It's, you know, we've got about 45 minutes here. But uh, really, a lot of this information, it revolves around the Twelfth Planet. And, of course, it is it is back in the news because there are many people who are, you know, quite certain, researchers and so forth, that, that the Twelfth Planet is heading back our way and uh, that the... Um, the Twelfth Planet's return may, in fact, explain a lot of the UFO incursions uh, here on Earth. So maybe we should take some time and just talk to me a little bit about the Twelfth Planet and what your your uncle, Zechariah, what his theories were about the Twelfth Planet. Okay, well, um, his interest started as a young boy reading some of the enigmatic passages that were in Genesis and, and in, in the Old Testament. And he started looking at ancient documents, not just the, the Hebrew Bible, but Sumerian and Akkadian. He learned to read uh, cuneiform and went to museums and saw physical evidence and, and did a lifetime of research before he started writing. And what he found from the stories that the, the ancient Sumerians told was that there is actually a tenth planet in our solar system because the other 
the other two bodies are the sun and our moon. Um, but there were 10 planets in our solar system. The 10th one, uh, because we're also including Pluto, we haven't demoted Pluto in, in this cosmogony, um, it's still considered a planet of, for the Sumerians and for this discussion. So this 10th planet, Nibiru, has a very large elliptical orbit. It got pulled into our solar system and kind of created some disruptions. Um, so during our prehistory, it collided with Earth um, at least twice. And the last time, it broke Earth, which was called Tiamat, in half. And what we're left with as far as our planet today, especially if you, if you took all the water away from the planet and just looked at the mass of, of Earth, it looks like a, a planet that was broken in half. Um, and it's really the water that makes it look cylindrical again. Um, so his, his theories from these writings, and, and he always said he was a reporter and, and not a writer, so he's reporting on what the Sumerians and the other ancient people said. Tiamat is ha was, um, became, half of it became Earth, and the other half became the asteroid belt. Uh, genetic material also was exchanged between Nibiru and Earth, and life developed, more advanced life developed on both planets. It developed faster on Nibiru, and they came um, with various things of the technology. They ended up coming to Earth, kind of a, on a, a, not on purpose, but they came here and they found that there was gold here, and they needed gold because they needed to repair their atmosphere that was in trouble. And they started mining gold here and discovered that it's kind of a lot of work, um, they started mining in the Persian Gulf because that's where they landed, and they found that there was um, gold in the water there, but it wasn't very effective. It wasn't an efficient um, way to get the gold. And then they started doing more mining in the southern part of Africa, and they decided that was a lot of work. And there were already hominids and other animals here on Earth, again, not as advanced as them. And they started trying to see if they could create an intelligent worker. So they started genetic engineering, experiments, things didn't really work out so well, and finally they decided to, um, to artificially inseminate uh, using some of their DNA and using the DNA of the hominids on Earth, artificially inseminate uh, some of the Anunnaki women and let them be surrogate mothers, and this is how they created the atom or man. And we, uh, we look like them, they're taller than us, but so from our perspective, they're giants, and the, the word giants in Nephilim um, is one of, is that's really the trigger word uh, in my uncle's story about what caused uh, him to really be fascinated and interested and start exploring this. Um, so that, that's kind of the the very basics of what his theory is, and and the other component here is that he looked at the stories in the Bible and myths of the ancient world and all of these. Um, stories and personalities in the tablets, and he said, what if this is an allegory and simile and myth and so on? What if it's history? So that was his, his um, paradigm, and that was, that's really what is different between what he researched and what others who have translated these documents have been looking at. And also, uh, and, and a fabulous job, in, really, in recapping the uh, sort of the 12th planet uh, scenario there, but it also explains why uh, in Sumer, which is, um, 
you know, Babylon, modern day, or Mesopotamia, rather, modern day Iraq, why a civilization sprang forth so suddenly uh, when the rest of the the world, the known world at that time, they were still, you know, crawling around in mud huts, and, and yet in Sumer we had libraries and modern agricultural techniques and so forth, and the intervention of the Anunnaki might explain, you know, why the civilization sprang forth in the uh, the Fertile Crescent at that particular time. Um, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the Anunnaki means uh, in Sumerian those who from heaven to earth came, and the ancient Sumerians, what they wrote was that everything that they know, the Anunnaki taught them. So the beginnings of agriculture and um, metallurgy and schools and methods of law and rules for commerce and all of these advances, uh, writing and arithmetic and, and so on, that created an advanced civilization, art, at a high level of art, um, all of this came from them. All right, we'll take a time out. Janet Sitchin, the niece of the great Zechariah Sitchin. The book is The Anunnaki Chronicles, a Zechariah Sitchin reader, back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Janet Sitchin is with us, the niece of Zachariah Sitchin. Uh, she served as her uncle's lecture assistant at his many seminars and is the webmaster for www.sitchin.com. She's a data integration expert with a degree in computer science, and her book is, or the book that she edited is The Anunnaki Chronicles, a Zechariah Sitchin reader, and it includes never-before-published writings. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Janet, how are we to understand uh, uh, the, the creation myth, if you will, that's outlined in the Bible, and that would be, of course, in Genesis? How are we to understand or read Genesis... Um, in light of your your father's research, the Anunnaki, the the arrival of the Anunnaki in the twelfth planet, and so forth. Um, my uncle didn't feel that they were inconsistent with each other. He actually thought that what he was finding in his research actually showed the veracity of the Bible. Uh, I think he also thought that a lot of the stories in the Old Testament were kind of um, abbreviated versions of stories that people already knew. So that's why some of them don't go into a lot of detail. Um, but th there's also um, the Sumerian creation myth called the Enuma Elish, and that um, talks more about the creation of the planets and, and everything else. But it, it, it goes along very, very closely with what's in the Bible. It's just that what the Bible is a very brief version of it. So in Genesis, I mean, it, it refers to Elohim. Uh, which would be plural for gods, or which would be plural for God, meaning God. So Elohim, were they the Anunnaki then? Um, that's what my uncle believes. So, um, and actually when I've read the Bible, I read it in English, so it's a little bit different than reading it in the original Hebrew like my uncle did. Um, but I found that there are several different voices through uh, the Old Testament, especially I, even just looking at the first five books, the uh, the five books of Moses that would consider the, the Torah. Um, and there are many cases where it talks about Elohim, which is plural, 
if it was Eloheinu, that would be singular. And it talks about the Elohim deciding, for example, to not tell man about the flood and then um, changing their heart and, and telling Noah uh, how to build an ark. And if you start looking at the Sumerian versions of this, it's actually more than one of the gods or the Anunnaki who made the decision to let man perish in the flood and Enki, who was one of the ones who was most involved with the genetic engineering of man and who felt very paternal toward man, who told, uh, in the, the Sumerian version, it's called uh, the Sudra, not Noah, but same person, um, about how to build an ark. So he went against the other Anunnaki in making this decision. And there's many other places that talk about uh, Elohim instead of just one God. And, and since one of the main premises of, of the Bible and the Ten Commandments is that there's only one God, uh, it seems not uh, in accordance with each other to think about multiple gods and, and what, what is our one God, um, where, does they, where does he fit into this. Uh, but the Anunnaki believed in a creator of all. And my uncle felt that the Anunnaki were actually carrying out the intentions of the creator of all by, by them coming here, by genetically engineering man. This was um, what the creator wanted, and they were acting as emissaries, whether that's knowingly or unknowingly, but that's, that's what he felt. But their intentions were essentially to create a slave race to mine gold uh, so that they could sort of restore their atmosphere and their home planet. That hardly seems altruistic. Well, they were not the gods. They were not the creator of all. We, um, you know, My uncle would say that they're gods with a small g. Uh, the creator of all would be who we consider the god that we're praying to. But uh, And it's true that the Elohim in the Bible who we think of as being God, m there are many voices, and it seems like it's more than one person there, and it even implies it by saying Elohim instead of Eloheinu. So my uncle's feeling was that the God of the, of the Bible are the Anunnaki, but they're, whether they're doing it altruistically or selfishly or, or whatever to create us, that was still part of the, the larger plan. How uh, how should we understand the uh, the serpent in the Garden of Eden in Genesis in terms of the Anunnaki and the twelfth planet? Well, the serpent. Um, there, there's a lot of things about the serpent. One that's interesting is the serpent is even today the symbol of medicine. The entwined serpent, uh, which is also the DNA helix, is the entwined uh, version of this and. The tree of knowledge was actually something that gave us the ability to procreate. So we were eating some of the foods of the gods that we were not supposed to have. The original humans that were genetically engineered were not able to procreate on their own. And after they uh, ate from the tree of knowledge, they ended up with the ability to procreate. So whether that was something that Enki, as the snake, gave to man with part of the um, medical procedures and genetic engineering, whether he gave it intentionally, whether he gave it accidentally, but um, that was something that we were given afterwards in the snake. There's a lot of connections with the idea of the snake, and um, I don't recall the exact, uh, there's something in uh, one of the books that talks about this, but the translation for snake 
there's some other subtleties of meaning that could could be more than just talking about a serpent. Now, the the Anunnaki, if I'm not mistaken, were have been described. I'm not sure whether they were described thusly in the the cuneiforms, but were sort of described as feathered uh, feathered serpents. Uh, so is there a connection to the feathered, feathered serpent god of the sort of the ancient Mayans, uh, Quetzalcoatl? Um, there is, because there's a point where one of the Anunnaki went to the Americas, and um, I'm, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but basically that he was became known as Quetzalcoatl. I know one of the names of the, the one I'm thinking of is named Toth, but there's there's other names. Um, that's more the Egyptian name for him. But he went to the Americas, and my uncle felt that he was who they thought was Quetzalcoatl. And he went there looking, and he found gold also. He, he kind of went there because there were some things going on, and he was sort of banished for a while and, and needed to go away. And that's how he ended up in the Americas. And uh, and then they found that there were a lot of gold in the Andes and started mining it there and smelting it there and, and there's a lot of constructs in the old world in uh, and there's a, a lot of discussion in the book The Lost Realms about how much of what they were doing was metallurgy there and refining the gold. And of course in, in places like Peru, uh, we, we had L.A. Marzulli up, up here recently. We flew him up to do a, a, a live event and uh, he's uh, along with a number of other researchers, been discovering, unearthing these elongated skulls. And while well, they're on display in museums, for God's sakes, in Peru. Uh, and um, what was your your uncle's uh, view of these, if he had a, a view of these elongated skulls? Did he believe that these, and they've been described as the Nephilim, uh, that they are evidence of this hybridization program that... Um, uh, may have taken place in 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 some researchers' views that this was a hybrid program between the the they call them the fallen angels uh, and the daughters of men, or I guess in your uncle's perspective it would be the Anunnaki uh, and an early primitive humans. Uh, but did he did he write about or look into these elongated skulls? Um, I don't think he talked about the skull shape itself. The only one that he really mentioned um, much about their their head, other than that uh, the Anunnaki looked like us, they were much taller than us, or we looked like them. And you know, so in the Bible where it says that we were created in their image, well, we were. We're, we're smaller than them, but, but we look like them. So the idea of the elongated heads, I don't know um, exactly where that fits in, and I... I don't remember hearing my uncle talk about that in detail, but in his book, uh, there, and there were giants upon the earth. He goes into great detail talking about uh, Queen Ninpuabi. Um, she is buried in in Egypt in um, a great amount of pomp and circumstance. I mean, the, the those that were very important had slaves buried with them, had all kinds of gold and wealth and everything like that, and. Her grave is beyond any of the others, any of the other kings or queens that were found. And he believes that this is one of the particular Anunnaki that was described in the writings and that died on Earth. Many of the other Anunnaki did not die on Earth. They went back to Nibiru, and that's where they died. They're not immortal. It's just their very long orbit uh, makes them 
uh, a year to them is 3,600 of our years, so it's it's a very uh, they live a very long time. But uh, Ninfuabi died on Earth and uh, was buried somewhere here. And her description for an Anunnaki, she was relatively short, and she had an enormous head. So it wasn't the elongated shape head that you're talking about, um, but that's the only one that I really heard about a head, you know, something different about their head. What about the, the Anunnaki's role in building the pyramids? I mean, there are other um, uh, enormous structures, uh, ancient structures on, on the earth, whether we're talking about the standing stones across continental Europe and in England, the, uh, the giant uh, heads on Easter Island, uh, pyramids in Mexico, in Egypt, in, in other, in Thailand and so forth. Were the Anunnaki involved? I mean, are these remnants of Anunnaki architecture? Um, my uncle certainly believes that it, it, it's so. And the, the Great Pyramids themselves, after the flood, they needed some additional landmarks for uh, landing their, their aircraft on Earth. So they, they needed to basically know uh, the runway and have physical landmarks. And they had lost some of them during the flood, so they built the pyramids to replace them. They also um, had some sort of equipment inside the pyramids uh, my uncle thinks that maybe it was communication equipment that let them communicate between um, the planet, possibly between a spaceship that was near here, uh, or maybe the planet when it uh, Nibiru when it was close to Earth, or a way station on Mars that he felt was there to help with moving cargo. Uh, because of the reduced uh, gravity on Mars, it was easier to load a, a larger cargo to move it and send it to Nibiru. So he definitely felt that, that those pyramids were built by the Anunnaki. Um, he has a whole discussion about Stonehenge and uh, some of those other kinds of, uh, of um, temples and things like that that had a, an alignment with both the, the solstice and uh, the equinox and seemed to be predictive of eclipses and, and other things, and that, that was just useful astronomical information for them to have. And so he feels that that was built uh, for predicting those. I, I, um, I, I spoke with your, your uncle. Um, I'm not sure how long ago it was, at least 10 years ago uh, on, on the program. And um, it seems to me, we're, we're coming into a break here. We'll, we'll pick up on this on the other side. But I, I seem to recall having a conversation with him about a Stargate uh, and, and whether or not that might have been the means uh, by which the Anunnaki uh, sort of were transported from either the mothership to here on Earth or from their planet to here on Earth, and whether or not that that Stargate may still exist somewhere beneath the sands of modern-day Mesopotamia. We'll talk about that with Janet Sitchin, niece of Zechariah Sitchin, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, back to my conversation with Janet Sitchin, niece of the great Zachariah Sitchin, mentioning my uh, conversation with your uh, late uncle. I'm trying to remember, I think we discussed something about a stargate, uh, maybe as the mode of transporting the Anunnaki back and forth from our planet to theirs or to the mothership. Am I remembering correctly? I don't know uh, what he may have thought about that in particular. 
I know that in the movie Stargate, the first one that came out, there was something where the professor is talking about Egyptology and other things. You know, this is before they, he's involved with investigating the Stargate there. And there is a, something about the forgery inside the Great Pyramid that attributed um, building it to Khufu. So I know that there was that connection that he felt that that came from his writing, that that was where it, it kind of became obvious about that. But as far as an actual Stargate like that that could move through space and be a shortcut, I'm not sure what my uncle thought about that in particular. Because when you get deep into sort of exopolitics, it's been even suggested that the existence of this Stargate may have been one of the motivations for the first Gulf War, that there was a race to get to the Stargate. Uh, Saddam Hussein was looking for it. He had hired some German archaeologists. It's known that he had hired this team of archaeologists. Uh, What they were looking for, we're not sure, but again, it's been sort of surmised that perhaps they were looking for the Stargate and the uh, NATO forces and their allies were in a rush to get over there to find the same Stargate. It's certainly uh, sort of interesting bar talk, if nothing else. Um, the 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 orbit of the twelfth planet is it thirty six thousand years it comes around supposedly thirty six hundred years thirty six hundred uh, my apologies yes thirty six hundred right, that's, that's plus or minus it's not exact and actually I was just rereading a section of the book and it was talking about how um, it could potentially be more or less depending on some other circumstances with the other planets and and how um, Nibiru comes into the orbit because. Um, the one thing about Nibiru that's, that's different, um, well, there's several things that are different about it and the orbit of the other planets. One is that it's at an, at an angle. It's not on the same plane as the other planets. So if you think about the other planets orbiting around a central object, they're, they're sort of on a flat surface orbiting that, that object, if you want to think of it. And Nibiru is at an angle to that surface. So um, that's Part of why we don't really know where it is because there's such a vast amount of space to search to find it. Um, and it is affected by the uh, orbits of the other planets, whether it's um, any collisions that it might have uh, with, say, the moon of another planet or, or something else along the way or the positioning because it comes in between many of the other planets as it comes close, closer to the sun and, clo- and thus closer to Earth. It is the... Um, is Planet X responsible for, um, well, for example, we have uh, Venus, which rotates, I believe, in the uh, opposite uh, direction of the other planets. We have Uranus, uh, and its rotational axis is, is tilted by about 90 degrees. Uh, can these, these be explained uh, by, by Planet X? Um, it could be from from collisions in, in past times. I'm not really. I don't know about Venus uh, rotation, but most of the planets rotate in a counterclockwise direction, and Nibiru rotates in a clockwise direction. So that's considered a retrograde orbit, um, and it's a, a similar kind of orbit as Halley's Comet. So it, it's a it's a longer period. Halley's Comet is what about 75 years and Nibiru is 3,600 years. But it's basically that, that same kind of thing. One of the moons of um, one of the outer planets, I, I'm thinking it's Jupiter, but I may be wrong, uh, but one of the moons is at an angle, or, and 
um, you know, that's also somewhat unusual and could be because of, of some past collision as Nibiru came through. Um, there are many of the orbits of Nibiru that came near Earth with no impact or, or issues or uh, upheavals on Earth, but then there are some that seem to have caused some upheavals. For example, the uh, cause of the deluge, from what my uncle found, is that um, as Nibiru started coming close to Earth and the gravity of Nibiru started impacting the ice caps in the Antarctic, they slid into the ocean and caused a great tidal wave that created the, the flood that we know of from that time. So there are some times that when Nibiru comes nearby that there are all kinds of things that the gravity brings in, into play and upheavals on Earth, but not all of the times that it's come has that been the case. All right. Uh, we'll take a time out, Janet. When we come back, we'll uh, find out when Planet X is due to uh, swing by again. And could its arrival have anything to do with the modern UFO phenomenon? Back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, welcome back. This is the Anunnaki Chronicles. That's Janet Sitchin's uh, new work. She's uh, edited this. It's a Zechariah Sitchin reader, includes new, never-before-published writings, and uh, we are here to talk about her uh, uncle's work. Um, where were we going? We were going to talk uh, about the uh, arrival of, the, of uh, Planet X, and uh, never a, a week goes by, Janet, where I don't get an email from somebody who, you know, claims that they're aiming their their uh, their iPhone up at the sky towards the sun with some special filter on it, and uh, they post this video on YouTube and maintaining that they can prove that that Planet X is headed our way. Uh, what would your uncle have made of all this? I mean, did did he think, for example, that he might live to see the return of Planet X, or did he think it was imminent? Um, I think it's more or less imminent, but exactly the timing uh, depends on a lot of things. And, and in his book, The End of Days, he spends a long time um, using different kinds of calculations to figure out when it could possibly come. And I, I recently uh, looked through that section just to see, because I got a lot of questions from the website of people that are worried that they heard it's you know, in three months and, and what should they do, and it's like I tell them, relax. Uh, but um, according to the book, and it depends which calculations you're looking at, um, probably the most likely time for them to come is, or the planet to, to come, because they can they may be able to come uh, ahead of the the planet or at other times. But it may um, be near us. The earliest is around 2060, and most likely it's closer to 2900 would be the next time that the planet comes near Earth. And, and this, these are many different calculations, and it, my uncle goes into great detail to explain them and all of the reasoning in the book, The End of Days. So uh, if you're really interested in, in knowing all of those details, I'd encourage you to take a look there. But that's basically the window of, of time when the planet might be coming near us. So I don't think he expected to live to 2060, but that would probably be about the earliest. And the Anunnaki themselves should be able to come sooner than that because they have spaceships and they have ways. Whether they have a Stargate or not, I don't know. 
but if they're just coming even in more conventional spaceships, as the planet gets closer, it's easier for them to, uh, to come here in a spaceship. And it's also possible for them to come back and forth um, after the planet kind of makes its round uh, on the other side of... Right now, it, it would be coming toward us, and at some point, it's going to orbit the sun and then be moving away from us. So there's a, a period of time at, at this end of the elliptical orbit where uh, they can still come and go. And I, exactly that distance, I don't know. Um, my uncle felt that while they had a base on Earth um, doing work here, they were also had a presence on Mars and had a way station there. Um, some of the, the folks that are looking at these theories are are wondering if there is again a presence on Mars or if some of the UFOs might be emissaries that are coming and checking us out ahead of time or, or something along those lines. And my uncle never commented specifically on those kinds of, of things, whether um, what people are saying are UFOs, whether they're real and if this is what they're doing. But, but it's, it, it was some things that were discussed, what, exactly what he believed, I, I'm not sure. And, and did he have an opinion as to whether the the next swing by of Planet X would bring with it a cataclysmic event here on Earth? Um, I don't think that it was clear whether that would happen or not. Um, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't the last time when there was the deluge, or was it the last? No, it wasn't the last time. The last time uh, they came would have been around 550 BC, plus or minus. Um, so. There, there weren't any cataclysmic events then, so it's hard to say whether that would be the case or not. Would that have coincided with the, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, for example? Um, I don't know uh, with the dates. I, 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 I would have to take a look, but I'm, I'm not sure. All right. I'm exposing my ignorance of the Old Testament here, but I'm just trying to, to, to do the math. Um, so every time the um, Planet X swings by and the Anunnaki... Uh, come uh, here on Earth. Are they also sort of upgrading our DNA, upgrading our evolutionary process? Um, I don't think they're doing that. I mean, there definitely were some times through history that they did some some tweaking, but I don't think that they're doing that now. I think when we got the ability to procreate, that was probably about the last time they did anything. And uh, my uncle, one of the reasons that he felt that maybe finding... um, or doing some genetic engineering, genetic genetic DNA investigation on uh, Nin Kuwabi, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was that he thought there may be something in the DNA that we find is dissimilar from human DNA, and that may be some of the genes that they withheld from us that give us longevity. So that we we got the ability to procreate, but we did not get the ability uh, to have the great longevity that they had. And there were also certain foods and things like that that um, they ate that helped with that even while they were on Earth. Um, but those that, that of the Anunnaki that were on Earth did live a shorter life than those that remained on Nibiru. So um, I don't think that they did anything with our DNA in the, in the meantime since those that early uh, time when we became able to procreate. Uh, but since the, the modern humans, uh, the, the, the modern human race was genetically engineered, uh, should we not all then continue to carry some trace of the Anunnaki in our DNA? I would say that's probably true. I mean, if we consider that um, that a portion of our original DNA was from the Anunnaki, and if you look in the uh, in Genesis and it talks about 
the the first generations. They talk about living a, a very extended lifetime, you know, a thousand years, nine hundred years. Uh, you know, they, they talk about those generations and the length of their lives. Methuselah, old, Noah, yes, they all lived yes. six hundred years plus. Um, and it could be that that was because they um, they were partially Anunnaki, and so they had some of those genes. Um, if we were all created from that, then we should all have some of that. And, and I've heard some theories that maybe um, so many of our the genes in our DNA are dormant, and maybe um, some of these are Anunnaki genes that if we knew how to turn them on in some way, it would help prevent disease, it would help uh, give us longevity, and all kinds of things. Talk to me about the the, uh, the never-before-published writings included in the Anunnaki Chronicles, Janet. Well, the Anunnaki Chronicles itself, the, the book, it's an anthology of um, many of Zachariah's ideas, so it's chapters from a number of his previous works, and hopefully in an order that, that helps um, new readers understand it and is useful for long-time readers to, um, to explain it to friends and to refresh their knowledge of some major topics. But also included here are other articles and uh, talks and other things that Zachariah had written but were never in published form. So um, we have some that where he kind of gives a summary of the major topics in his book, The Twelfth Planet, uh, where he uh, there are a couple of talks uh, to some UFO groups that are in here, um, and, and a number, a few, a few letters that he wrote to the New York Times editorial section. Uh, a number of those kinds of things that we hope um, are the readers find interesting, especially the readers that have read everything else and 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 probably are eager to have a little bit more. Sure. Uh, what did your uncle make of the sort of the modern day? UFO movement. I mean, much has been. Uh, let's face it. You know, many of the researchers are standing on your your uncle's shoulders. Um, what did he make of of the the UFO movement, the disclosure um, movement, for example, the disclosure yeah. movement? There, there are several times that that he spoke um, to UFO conferences, and one of the things that he says is that he doesn't know, uh, you know, about the UFOs that people um, are talking about today, but he knows that. In the Bible, it mentions several occurrences where there were UFOs, although at the time they weren't unidentified. They were, they knew, people knew about them, and so they were not that unusual. But, um, but the idea of, of UFOs or um, whether they're maybe identified objects, uh, he believed that there are many stories in the Bible that talk about those, the, uh, the incident with Jacob's ladder and maybe even the way that the... Um, the clouds of glory led the uh, Israelites through the desert, he believes, might have been uh, an Anunnaki spaceship kind of hidden in a cloud or something that helped uh, move everybody along. So he feels that um, there certainly is the possibility of life on other planets and that they've been here. And uh, obviously the whole idea of the Anunnaki is exactly that. So um, he's... Very uh, was very open to the idea. I, he didn't really comment specifically when people said about their UFO stories or, or things like that. Um, he did have people that spoke with him, usually more anonymously because they were concerned about their own careers and, and other things. Uh, but there were NASA scientists that spoke with him and 
seemed to corroborate this. Uh, he talked about um, a speech that Ronald Reagan gave at the United Nations, and he talked about how unifying it would be to, um, to us on Earth if the moment that we were threatened with, um, with an alien, uh, aliens coming to Earth, that all of our differences and, and everything else would, would certainly melt away as we um, work together to, to figure out what was needed at the time and how unifying that would be. And it was a very interesting time for Reagan to have made that kind of comment. Um, it was at a time where, where there were still uh, tensions between Russia and the U.S. and um, talking about kind of melting some of those. And that was actually at the time when a lot of that uh, thawed and uh, there were better relations. So I don't know if there was something going on. They also, there were plans uh, for how the nations of the earth would deal with, with such a situation. And to start making plans like that, um, I, I don't know if that was just idle planning or if there was something more to it. Well, for those that are interested in the whole sort of disclosure um, aspect of ufology and so forth, if the calculations are correct, uh, we will have disclosure one way or the other by um, as soon as 2060 or as late as uh, 2900. So uh, it'll either be in our children's lifetime or our great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren's uh, lifetime. In any event, uh, Janet, I have enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thank you so much, and congratulations on the Anunnaki Chronicles. Thank you very much. Janet Sitchin. All right. Thanks to uh, Tim Spreen. Great to have him aboard again. Albert Vinzel, as always. Back next week with Graham Hancock and Debbie Papadakis. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. <laughs>